and welcome to the Knits Beyond Normal podcast, episode 16. My name is Kate, and thanks for joining me this morning. If you're a new listener, great big welcome. This is a weekly podcast where I like to talk about knitting, yarn, zombies and dragons, and other geeky things. If you hear something you're interested in, you want to check out my blog at knitsbeyondnormal.blogspot.com. You can find show notes there, as well as links to the websites for shows, yarn companies, project patterns, or anything I might discuss. I try to release episodes on Wednesdays, you know, life permitting, and you can subscribe through iTunes, and if you want to email me, you can do so at knitsbeyondnormal at gmail.com. So let's jump into the show for this week. So my backward seasonal depression disorder is starting to hit with a vengeance considering it was almost 90 yesterday, and it is May 18th. I'm not ready for 90 degree days just yet, you guys. I'm just not. I need to go to Alaska for the summer and enjoy being cold. Or somewhere else where it is cold all year long. I would be perfectly happy in that climate. But that is my backwards ridiculousness. So how are you enjoying the May weather? How is it where you are? I would love to hear about it. And I'm going to jump right into knitting patterns and projects oh my because I do have some stuff to talk about this week so uh, the silver fox baby cardigan in Madeline Tosh DK twist sweet nothing which I've been working on for the mad may is nearly done I only have maybe about another inch to go before I bind off the neck and then I have to um, do a couple little bit of finishing things on it and it will be complete and I think just in time for me to do an easy hat project so I can do two this year for May. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do but I'm already looking at options because as I'm working on binding this one off and another thing I have said this before I absolutely love this color for a baby knit uh, the soft lavender is a nice option to pink if the mom's d- isn't a if the mom of the baby that you are knitting for is not necessarily a pink person for her little girl, the lavender makes a nice option. It looks like it would look really cute with almost anything they put it over. It's not a super bright color, and it just it looks it's very sweet. And it works really good. It makes the cables pop. And the Silver Fox pattern, now a couple things I wanted to discuss with this. This is the Silver Fox cardigan by Lisa Chemery, which is C-H-E-M-E-R-Y. And it is a very pretty pattern. And I've seen a lot of really great um, sample projects, or excuse me, completed projects on Ravelry. It has cables that are in the back section. It has a cable on the upper sleeve. It also has cables on the fronts. So there are quite a few charts, but the designer has done a really good job where she actually wrote out the charts for those of us that find it easier to read it versus read the chart. I can actually do both. I think I said that before, but it's easier for me to read it just so I can cross off things, especially if I have to stop mid-row, I can kind of make a dot and and tell what I'm doing. So kudos to the designer for that. It makes it a lot easier, and it also makes it really accessible for different types of knitters, because not everybody's on the same place. And it's making a really, really sweet finished product. I'm doing the smallest size, which my gauge is a little off because it's looking a little bit bigger, but once it gets blocked, that might that might even out. But it's still, it'll be perfect for a baby um, this fall that'll be needing it right as it turns cold again. And there was a random project that happened to strike me this week as the Silver Fox cardigan, as fun as it is, I do need to pay attention to it. Like I said, it has a lot of cables. It's not necessarily TV knitting to a show that I want to pay attention to, like my new shows that I talk about on the podcast. So I actually had to go to a knitting shop when I was in a neighboring town this week to get a new size 6 needle because my size 6 that I've loved for many years finally had the cable start to crack out of the join. 
So I went and got my size 6, but of course that involved going to a yarn store. Now I'm trying not to buy as much yarn this year as I have in previous years because there's different things I'm saving for. And I'm also trying to knit through or sell or trade a lot of my stash just to try to get a realistic look at how much yarn I have and how much I'm going to be using. But when you go to a yarn store, you can't like not look at the yarn. I mean, come on, it's a yarn store. Especially when you don't get to that particular yarn store very often. And these are all my little, you know, backward ways of trying to justify the fact that I did buy a skein of yarn. And there's just no justifying it. I did. I cracked. But I only bought one skein, and I'm doing a one skein project with it, so it won't um, involve me having to go buy any more. Now this is a yarn that I haven't used before and it's actually something other than Madeline Tosh so I'm straying just a little bit, forgive me, but it's by Blue Sky Alpacas and it's called Extra and it's an alpaca merino blend and it's an Aran weight and it is so squishy. It is soft and lush and it just whispered. I kept coming back to it as I looked around. I kept coming back to this yarn and it just said, you need to make me into a cowl. <laughs> Literally, I could hear it talking from the bookcase. That's how crazy I'm getting. So it, it did come home with me, and it is now my simple TV knitting project. I am doing a soft, fluffy cowl, and I cast on the pattern called the Tuesday Night Cowl by a designer named Susan Pierce Lawrence. It's a free pattern on Ravelry, and I was able to knock out a couple of inches already just during Fear the Walking Dead the other night because most of the rows are stockinette, and then there's a big cable row every now and again. So it makes a really chunky, easy-to-knit, soft, fluffy cowl, and I got it in this kind of buttercreamy white, and it just looks perfect. I know exactly who it's going to be for. It's going to fit the style of a certain relative I know very well. So that is my, my TV knitting little cheat, which is funny because I usually don't do anything but Mad Tosh and Mad May. But of course, fate decided to poke that a little bit. So what are you knitting? Um, what are you working on? I'd love to hear. Are you doing Mad May with Madeline Tosh? Are you up in the group on Ravelry? Hit me up on the blog. Let me know. Or you can always poke me on Ravelry. Now let's see, I am looking into project number two for Mad May, and you guys, I can't decide if I'm going to be doing a, another baby sweater, which I need to be doing, or if I'm going to try to knock out something really quick just for a week and then move on to the baby sweater in June. Uh, I have a lot of options kind of flittering around the horizon. I have done all these big projects, so I'm thinking maybe like a quick pair of fingerless mitts in one of my one skeins that I have in my stash just to use it up. Because fingerless mitts, I always tend to use these, so that's actually something that gets a lot of wear when I make them. So if you have a favorite pattern for fingerless or you have a certain quickie pattern that you absolutely love that's your go-to, uh, let me know. Jump into the comments or shoot me an email. I'd love to hear your input. I might actually even take it. Who knows? But we're going to jump into Geek Files because we do have two episodes to talk about again this week. So we're going to start off with Fear the Walking Dead. So this episode is called Sicca Servius, which I think is, I looked up as Latin, and it has to do with one of the things that the choir was either singing at the beginning in the church or something the priest was preaching about. So we're, we're met with what we all think is a flashback, and it turns out it's actually a current event. And the priest is basically preaching that his parishioners need to go fight, and we assume they're going to go fight against the zombies, but we're not quite sure. But Thomas Abigail shows up just as they're all grabbing their weapons, and he begs them not to fight, and it turns. But he like you don't really see what happens to him. But it turns out he leaves his truck. And we find out later in the show that he did get bitten during the fray. But we'll find out a little bit later what happens to him, and it also makes Strand's episode go in an interesting direction. So, in this episode, just to start it off, well, 
to start off, we have a new hated character here. So, you know, originally I thought Alicia was the character I could relate to the least, but no, no, no. I realized this week that I no longer and hate her. I don't think I ever really did. I just don't get her. Her particular plotline just doesn't reach out to me. But Chris, oh hell to the no, we're going to do the little emo psycho teenager thing now. WTF, really? I, I really disliked what his character is doing. During the survival episode, it really looked like Chris was going to finally make some progress, become a little bit more adept at protecting himself and the crew against the zombies. But now, after the previous episode, he's clearly just doing a downward spiral in another direction. And they make it seem like him and Nick are having a similar crisis of faith about killing the undead. But unfortunately, Chris is deciding to take it to a crazy level and now wants to kill anyone who even questions his actions. And I was also kind of disappointed in this particular turn because it was so predictable. Travis and Madison are already so unlikable and now we have this predictable battle between them over their kids being at odds with the clueless whiskey one and the other one clearly losing his mind. And what would have been really original is if Travis had to be the one to shut down Chris and Madison defended him. I think, unfortunately, the writers chose a more predictable angle. Hopefully next week we'll see something a little different. But onto the whole business in Mexico, this part I actually thought was interesting. The walled compound where they can grow food that seems pretty secure, it's pretty remote, it's not near a big city. Um, there's a lot of people there that are still tending the fields. Except for the fact that it is Herschel's farm all over again. Yes, there are zombies in the basement. Apparently every little bump in the night is not really the boogeyman. It could be zombies underneath your foundation. We find out that Celia does not believe that they are, quote, dead, and it looks to do with something to do with her beliefs and her religion, something with that owl which Luis had on a coin at the beginning of the episode when he got shot. So... It also looks like they're going to have Nick latch on to this whole belief as a way to cope with his mixed feelings about killing the zombies. And I actually think this is a better way to handle that particular issue than what they're doing with Chris. But it may just be that they have to have one dealing with it one way and one dealing with it another. And speaking of dealing with things, we move over to Daniel Salazar, who is having a serious crisis of faith. But it's hard to tell if it's just his intuition screwing with him, or premonitions, or what. He seems pretty messed up when Ophelia tries to get him to come to dinner, but it turns out he was right that there was something not good about the whole setup when he finds the dead in the basement. And as a side note, they're still setting up a Nick Ophelia thing. Collective awe. But the biggest awe of the whole episode, I think, was the humanization of Strand. Strand, we actually, we learn a lot about him. His flashbacks gave us some, and seeing Thomas Abigail really kind of filled in the pieces. He finally, you finally understand a little bit about what he was trying so hard to get back to. And the, the thing with Thomas, he really was in love with him. It wasn't part of the con. And in the flashbacks, they never really let you know if it was part of the con or not. But unfortunately, Thomas has been bit. And I really think that was a lost opportunity there because... I was hoping Thomas would join the show, even if only for a couple of episodes. I felt like it really would have given us more time to adjust to the other side of Strand's personality. Big lost opportunity there. There was also a lot of speculation about uh, Strand's offer to kill himself when Thomas dies. A lot of people thought, oh, he went back on it, he was going to do it, but I honestly think this was 
said and done to make it easier on Thomas who was suffering and make it easier for him to let go and not try to hang on because he was clearly uncomfortable and in a lot of pain knew he was dying and I think Strand said this so he wouldn't be so scared but we find out at the very end Strand obviously does not believe like Celia because at the end he doesn't let Thomas turn he shoots him and Chris in that last scene oh good god really really so apparently uh the people at the compound took away all the weapons, but Madison has a great big knife that she has in plain view on her nightstand. Okay, perfect to have around the psycho emo child. I also didn't quite like how they chose to have Travis get on Madison for, You're not there for me, Maddie. Excuse me, she came and rescued your butt from the pirates. She risked everyone else's life, including her precious Nyx, who she's overprotecting in a very creepy way. Uh, hello, writers, we need a little bit more explanation on that. But she came and rescued him from the pirates. Yeah, she's not there for him. She doesn't care about him, simply because she doesn't take his psycho son's side, who was watching her almost get eaten by a zombie and who threatened to kill her daughter. It was our daughter. I just... Th those two characters, they really need to either kill them or give them some kind of turn that makes them more relatable. They're... I, I'm I'm not a TV writer. I'm not quite sure what exactly I would do, but there needs to be something that makes us care about them. There needs to be something that we need to stop rolling our eyes, hollering at the screen. Some of the other characters have made this turn. They've gone from extremely unlikable to a lot more tolerable. Nick's character in particular, I could not stand the first season. And now, I'm actually rooting for him. So, I mean, it is possible, and I know it can happen, so let's get on it. I'm also really curious to see what's going to happen next week. There's obviously going to be some kind of showdown between our crew and Celia's beliefs because Salazar isn't going to be okay with just letting the dead be in the basement. The situation with Chris is going to come to a head after what we saw at the end, and it may end up being Strand against Celia. So stay tuned and let's see. I can't wait to talk about it next week. Moving forward in Geek Files, we also have a Game of Thrones episode. Now, I am enjoying Game of Thrones more and more each week this season. It's doing really well, and this week we have Sibling Reunion Week. So, spoiler alert again, if you have not seen this episode of Game of Thrones from the week of May previously, before May 20th, so about one week ago from here, we have Sibling Reunion Week. We have Yara and Theon that get to get together again. We have Marjorie and Loris who finally get to see one another in the Black Cells. And then we have the most satisfying one, Jon Snow and Sansa Stark. So we'll get to that in a minute. But we also have a scene with the small council trying to figure out how to keep Marjorie from having to do the same nude scene that was in Cersei's contract. And speaking of nude scenes, we have a great scene at the end where Danny finally gets aggressive and uses her Targaryen power to get power over a very powerful army, the Dothraki. This scene, I know I'm talking about the end first, but this was the best scene of the episode for me. This whole scene just was Danny regaining her power, using her brain, using her skills, using her fireproof method that she's used before, and using it in such a way that gained her power over this entire army and people. And she was in power over some Dothraki before. Now she's in power over quite a bit more of them. And I really enjoyed how when they brought her in, you know, they were expecting her to grovel and beg to be let live with the widows. And 
Danny just said no. And she basically talked them down to the ground and then proceeded to burn up their temple and proudly walk out of the flames like a fire goddess. That scene was awesome. Go, Danny. Skipping back to Marine from whence Danny came, Tyrion makes a deal with the masters regarding the slaves and pisses off a lot of people. Grey Worm and Missande are losing faith in him, but you seem to sense from the portrayal that there's something a bit more going on. Varys and Tyrion, I think, have a bit more information than they let everyone know, and he's really trying to make the best of a situation that's about to explode. You get the sense of the finger in the dike with this one. Like, eventually it's going to go crazy, but he's trying to keep the ship from sinking quite so quickly. And then we skip over to the Iron Islands to see Yara and Theon reunite, just before Yara's bid for the Salt Throne. Now, she's mad at him over her botched rescue and the timing of his return, but she still doesn't know half the torture that Theon received at Ramsay's hands, and for how long. I certainly hope that Theon gets to rest a little now that he's home. Once Yara gets over her upset because she thinks that he's showing up in time to ruin her bid for the throne, I'm hoping these two will unite, because they're going to have some issues taking on their uncle Euron, who's going to go after the throne as well and go right up against Yara. Danny's other scenes in the episode, skipping back and forth, my sense of time is a little warped, as you probably already know very well if you listen to my show quite often. But we're seeing that the Dothraki are such a powerful force, but they're also similar to the Masters in the way they take slaves from the conquered cities. We also see this in how Danny's getting to know one of the Kal widows and realize that she was taken from a conquered city at a very young age. So Danny's already kind of feeling her way through how their culture works before she decides to take it over. Jumping back to the most satisfying reunion of the episode. Sansa and John. Now, after last the last episode where John quit the Night's Watch and basically said his watch had ended, you really get the feeling that he was going to miss Sansa. Like I had a feeling they were just going to be ships in the night. Sansa was going to show up the day after John rode out. But the show actually decided to not go with the predictable route and have them miss each other, but have Sansa walk into the castle and have him walk out and see her. And you get the sense that there's just such a sense of relief. They haven't seen each other in a long time. No one knew quite where she was. And, you know, Sansa didn't know who was alive and who wasn't. She's only recently found out that she's not the only Stark left standing. And... You know, for better or for worse, even though they weren't full siblings, she grew up thinking of him as her half-brother. She's lost both of her parents. You know, she presumes Arya is dead. She knows Rob is dead. And as for Bran and Rickon, she thinks they may be alive but has no proof. So her relief when she finally gets to see a member of her family is very touching. And you even see John. just there's a touchstone with the family. And he hasn't seen any of them either. So this scene was awesome. And we also have this whole thing about Sansa urging John into action versus him just trying to nurse his PTSD and ride off into the sunset and not fight. Sansa basically tells him, you can't not fight unless you can suddenly choose to not care. And then he gets the letter that states that he knows, Ramsay knows Sansa is there and telling them Ramsay has Rickon. This is the final nail in the coffin that John won't let Ramsay torture Rickon, and Sansa knows firsthand exactly what Ramsay will do. Ramsay won't just kill him. We all know what Ramsay will do, and it's gonna be ugly. 
some other cute little things in this episode. Tormund making lovey eyes at Brienne. If they go with that coupling, you guys, I will do some kind of giveaway on my podcast. That scene was awesome. Brienne needs someone who likes her for the badass, honorable knight that she is, and that was just hilarious. Her awkwardness at wondering if he was mocking her, but you get the feeling with the wildlings. I mean, we all remember how tough Egret was. I think Tormund actually is impressed with Brienne. And jumping back to Ramsay, he still needs to get it. I am seriously hoping that the Wildling Army, and perhaps the Vale Army that we are reminded exists this week, will finally end this ridiculously sadistic terror reign. And maybe even the phrase, once they realize what Ramsay did to Walda and the baby, I could honestly see one or two of them sneaking in to assassinate him as the battle's ending, or right as Ramsay thinks he's going to win. I can see him getting killed in a very kind of covert way that, honestly, I think everybody's going to cheer when he gets it. King's Landing. Oh, I knew I forgot something. Maybe it's because I no longer care. Yes, I'm sorry. The thing with King's Landing, these plot lines are getting old. There's some of the other ones are doing so much better, but the plot at King's Landing seems to be stagnating, and I'll tell you why. The High Sparrow speeches are getting old, and Marjorie has largely been forgotten most of the season in the cells. Even her scene with Loras was lacking, as we get almost no info, except that Loras is a weak coward and she is strong, which we all already knew. We also already knew that Lady Tyrell will do anything to avoid Marjorie having to do the Walk of Shame, and we also knew that Cersei and Jaime are pissed at the Sparrows. Thank you. Hopefully next week we'll be able to push that storyline forward instead of just trotting in place. So what did you think of the episodes this week? I know this is coming out late due to some technical difficulties. I do apologize. But hopefully next week I will be able to record on Wednesday as usual and we'll be able to catch up a little bit. Jump in the comments as always or shoot me an email. You know, do you think my theories are on point? Do you have a totally different idea? Please let me know. And if, like I said, if you want to email me or you can jump in and comment. Tell me what you think. Jumping into random roster this week, a couple things are coming up. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con is approaching a lot faster than I realize, and they're starting to announce a lot of off-site events. And one that has caught my interest, because I am suddenly becoming a collector of these things, is the Funko Fun Day. Apparently at SDCC each year, the Funko Pop company that makes these collectible toys has a event, an off-site event that they do in the evenings at a nearby hotel. They give away figures, they give away t-shirts, you can buy tickets to this event, and it's supposed to be a lot of fun if you enjoy collecting these toys. So if you're a Funko collector and you're going to SDCC or you live in San Diego, I would definitely look this up. I got some information on this this week, and I think I'm going to try to get a ticket. I mean, if I don't get one, oh well, but it sounds like something fun to try and do while I'm down there for this. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime trip, and I really want to try to get in as much as I can. So the information this year, you can find it on Funko's site. You can also find it at the San Diego Comic-Con unofficial blog, which is where I get a lot of my information. And you can follow them on Facebook so they can let you know when you put in new posts about new information coming up. This event looks like it's going to be on Friday, July 22nd at 6 p.m. And it's going to be at one of the hotels next door. And they're going to start selling tickets, I believe, on June 1st. And all over the event page, it says that they're going to go really fast. But part of the event is you get a mystery box of fun. You also are going to get drink tickets. And I think they have appetizers and they do games. I read some, some blogs about people that have gone in previous years. And it sounds like a lot of fun. 
So if you're interested in this, I would check out the site. They're going to be selling tickets through Eventbrite. So if you search Funko Fun Days 2016 Eventbrite, which is B-R-I-T-E, you should be able to get to the page pretty quickly. And I'll link it on my blog for those of you Funko enthusiasts. And speaking of Funko, I had two figures join my collection this week. I happened to be in a bookstore where they had a small Funko display. And Mycroft from Sherlock, with his complete with his umbrella, which is darling, and Dana Scully joined my treasures. So I now have two X-Files. I have Dana and an alien. I did search the display for Fox, but he was not there. Hopefully I'll be able to find a Fox Mulder to complete my little trio. And I did get Mycroft. So this actually led me to a website called Pop in a Box. And that's a kind of a quick transition, but it's related to Funko. Now, Pop in a Box, which is at uh, HTTP uh, popinabox.us, this is a site that you can sign up for a membership and they send you monthly figures. And you can also track your collection. This is what I thought was the awesome thing about this site. If you make a free account, you can go in and check the figures you own. So if you do sign up for their um, their monthly subscription, you won't get doubles. And they can also see what kind of fandoms you're interested in collecting, and I think you can make wish lists and even pre-order figures before they come out. They also have the shirts, and they have a pretty wide selection, like... I'm looking for a Deadpool figure. I wasn't aware that they're making Funko's making several different versions of Deadpool. And one of the cutest ones I see up here on Pop on a Box for pre-order is Deadpool Bath Time, which has a cute little Deadpool Funko holding a rubber ducky and wearing a shower cap. They also have a pirate Deadpool. They have Game of Thrones figures. Basically, if you know anything about Funko Pop, if you have a fandom, you're most likely going to find Pops to go with it. So if you're a collector of toys, I would check them out. I didn't really subscribe to this one for the longest time, but I have been converted. They even have uh, an Ecto uh, car from the new Ghostbusters movie with one of the new characters riding on it. So they're actually even ahead of some releases, which I think is really cool. So, are you a Funko collector? Are you interested in going to Funko Fun Days? Uh, let me know if you're going to be down there. It might be neat to meet listeners, especially if we have collections in common. And the last thing I was going to talk about this week with Funko was a fun thing to Google if you collect Funkos or other little toys like this is Funko Ways to Display. So if you Google this, you will find so many neat collection images of how people choose to display these toys. And you collectors out there are light years ahead of me with a lot of you. There are so many you own. I have my meager little five, I believe, here, maybe six. But there's neat wall displays that people have custom designed and built. Some people like to keep them in the box, so they're in mint condition. Some people like to have them out of the box. Some people display them per fandom. And it's it's really it's a lot of really cool information, especially if you are a hardcore collector of these, to see fun ways to have them displayed so that they're not just sitting in your closet taking up space. Because what's the fun of a collection if nobody appreciates it, right? So if I would love to see how, how do you display your collections, whether they're Funko or something else, especially little things. It's fun to see ways to display these because you want to have them out. I mean, not necessarily, we don't want to play with the toys, but I do like to have them out. So if you want to submit pictures, you can d drop them in the comments or email them to me, and I'll display them on my blog to show other collectors. My favorite one would be a custom-designed clock that I found. This person made a clock like a shadow box, where each of the times has a spot for a little toy figure. And in this case, it looks like Legos, but I'm sure this could be altered for other collectibles. 
What's the most original way you've seen to display your collection? And to close out today, we are doing a list of cities I have traveled to. So these are uh, top five cities that I have traveled to on vacation and spent at least one night in. So that was how I narrowed it down. Uh, so top five would be San Francisco, which is pretty close, but I have gone there and actually spent the night and done the tourist thing. I've stayed in a hotel in Chinatown, which was really fun. There's some really neat places to check out there if you're ever in the city. Number four would be Seattle, Washington. I got to travel here for work a couple years ago, and I absolutely loved it. It would be a dream city to live in for me. Three, Anaheim, Disneyland, of course. We've done that a few times, being California natives. Two would be Tijuana, Mexico. When I was in high school, we used to do missionary work with a ministry that operated just south of Tijuana. This would be a fun way to spend your spring break in high school. And number one would be uh, Kona on Hawaii's Big Island. I absolutely love the Big Island. I've been there twice. I've got to spend about a week there each time and really, really enjoyed it. I've never been to the other islands, but the Big Island had a very peaceful sense. It was absolutely beautiful. There were so many things to see and eat and do. I highly recommend it if you ever are going on vacation. So that's my list for the week. This episode is a little bit slapdash, so I apologize if it sounds a little disjointed. It unfortunately had to be recorded in two to three different intervals due to some crazy things that happened this week, but such is life. So hopefully next week I'll get a little bit back on track. I apologize for the delay, but I hope you guys have a great week. And to sign off, as always, remember the best place to be is a little bit beyond normal. See you guys later.